Brother Mike, what is that instrument called? <laughs> it's called a melodica. Okay, that, that's got to be the first time we've had that played in our church. Man. Is that the thing that Zap uses? No. That, that's something different. He, he uses a talk box. Okay. He's I can have that box. for you next week. You, you got the talk box too. I got a talk box. Yeah, bring it next week. Bring it next week. And Mike is ministering this evening. What time are you ministering this evening? Uh, it starts at six o'clock. Seven. Seven. Okay. At the Well uh, Coffee House on Music Row okay. on 16th. So okay. the Well Cornelia is what they call it. The Well Cornelia Coffee House on 16th. Okay. The Well Coffee House yeah. on Music Row. And uh, this evening it's going to be a gospel set because you is. do all kind of music. But tonight it's going to be gospel. So you're going to tear that place up in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we believe what we do. The Spirit of God's gonna fall and meet everybody, man. Thank you. My God. Y'all were jamming today. Y'all jam every Sunday, but man, I love y'all, man. Let's give it up, y'all. <laughs> and uh, were the Pentecostal people happy today? Were the Pentecostal folk? Could because Jewel took you back whether you wanted to go there or not. Amen. Wow. Well, uh, the Honeymooners are back. The Williamsons are here. Can y'all wave to your father? Amen. Wow, wow. Just glowing, just glowing, just glowing. Amen. Well, uh, before I get into the word, uh, I have an announcement to make. Um. The elder of pastoral care is Elder Sherman Smith. And so we have elders over the various ministries of the church, uh, the Christian education and uh, worship and all of the outreach. And Sherman is my and Pastor Jerry's elder. And uh, he saw that I was dragging a little bit, that I was moving a little slow. And, uh, and he said, Pastor, you need to take some time off. And so uh, I listened to my elder because I know he loves me. And uh, he said, you need to take a sabbatical for the month of July. So I am not going to preach here for the month of July. Uh, uh, so I, I thank God for my elder telling me, go sit down somewhere. <laughs> and uh, Amen. Amen. Now, I do have to preach next week in Baltimore because I had scheduled that a while back. So I'll be preaching in Baltimore. So if you see me online preaching, I'll be like, man, what's this brother doing? You know, uh, but no, I'll be in Baltimore with my wife. And then I'm going to Texas, Dallas for a pastor's conference that I'm looking very much forward to. And then uh, Doreen and I will spend a few days in Florida just hanging out, the two of us. So uh, it's going to be a good month. And, and pray for me. Because I, there's a lot of thinking I need to do, a lot of reading I need to do. And uh, I'd like to write, as I was telling Jonathan, all the things I was preaching earlier this year as far as the black presence in the Bible, to compile it and be able to submit it. Uh, so it sounds like I'll be working during this break, but I, I might need to pull back on that. We'll see. So, uh, yeah, pray for us. Uh, because when you have to preach, you don't want to preach. Because it's so awesome as far as what you have to do. It's like, oh, man, I know I'm called, but, Lord, this is a holy situation. But when you're not preaching, that's when you want to preach, you know. But that's usually when God downloads ideas to me, and, and I need some fresh oil and fresh manna. So, yeah, yeah, looking forward to that. Now, uh, the first Sunday of July, because I know you're going to be here, because you come here to see Jesus and not Pastor Chris. Amen. I mean, see Jesus. 30% uh, of y'all clap, but we praying for the other 70. Um, my man John Kiever is preaching July 3rd. And then uh, Dr. Joel Gibson is preaching July 10th. My man Will Anderson is preaching on my birthday, July 17th. Uh, Elder Sherman Smith is preaching July 23rd. And our own Isaiah... Marshall is pre preaching on uh, 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 July 30th. Uh, did I say Isaiah's name right? Okay. Uh, he's preaching. Uh, so it'll be a student ministry Sunday that day. So uh, we, you're going to have pulpit supply. You're going to get the word. 
So don't let them look out there and just see the audience watching online. Y'all make sure y'all come out now, unless you're on vacation or something. Okay. All right, turning your Bibles to the book of Titus, chapter 2. We'll start there. We're going to head over to Luke after that. We'll go to Jeremiah, and then we'll end in Exodus. So I hope you brought your Bibles with you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. We do rejoice, and we're glad in it. We choose joy, and we're sorry for elevating our circumstances, our situations above you and your word. Lord, we believe this morning, but help our unbelief. Help us to have the kind of faith that Paul had when he said, I'm not looking at things which are seen because the things that are seen are temporary. I'm looking at the things that are unseen because the things that are unseen are eternal. Father, fix our gaze to see more than what we see here. Helps to be spiritual people who are living in a physical world. Help us to set our affections and our mind on you and on things above where Christ is so that it can have an impact on how we live in the nasty here and now. Lord, I need your help. Thank you, Lord. And your people need your help to hear the word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that Jesus said, I won't leave you without a comforter. He's going to be with you. He's going to be in you. Holy Spirit, teach us, lead us, guide us today. And Father God, help me to lead and feed your people in this hour. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask it all. Amen. Amen. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Anybody glad about that? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So there's the grace that comes to justify and the grace that comes to sanctify because Paul said that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So with your prayers, let me preach on the subject this morning. What does it mean to live godly in this age? What does it mean to live godly in this present age? When we consider our present age and what it means to live godly lives, What does that look like for believers now that the ruling to ban abortion has passed? Some of us in the body of Christ rejoiced over the ruling that came out on Friday. Others of us were saddened by the ruling that came out on Friday. Some of us in the body of Christ blamed politicians for what transpired. Whereas others of us in the body of Christ praised politicians for what happened. Well, for nearly 27 years, I have had the privilege and the challenge of pastoring a diverse group of Christians here in Middle Tennessee. We've experienced diversity of race diversity of culture, diversity of economics, diversity of theology, and even diversity of politics. And the way that we're able to stay together amid all of our differences is because this verse from Galatians 3.28, which has become our vision verse, Where it says, for in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we recognize our differences. We celebrate our differences. But we also know that we are one in Jesus Christ. 
And God has not called us to be the same, but he has called us to be one. He has not called us to uniformity, but he has called us to unity. Is it easy? No. But we trust in the Lord, the one who knocked down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, between the rich and the poor, between male and female, making us one in him, but not the same. So it's okay for us to be different. And for 27 years, we've tried to live this way by the grace of God. Not easy, but it's worth it. You see, Strong Tower Bible Church is really hidden when uh, progressives get upset with us and when conservatives get upset with us. We're really hitting the, the right way because this church ought to be too conservative for progressives and too progressive for conservatives. That, that's the way this church ought to be if we're doing the kingdom work of God properly. Because neither political party in our country fully represents the interests of the kingdom of God. Each one has things about it that are consistent with a kingdom ideology. And each one also has things about it that are inconsistent with a kingdom ideology. And so in this church, it's about the kingdom more than it is about our political differences. And it's because of Jesus that we're able to agree to disagree, to be amicable because of politics, which we know is so divisive in our culture. Well, regardless of the ruling and where we find ourselves, believers, according to Titus chapter 2, still have a charge to be godly in this present age. We still have a call, no matter what side of the political aisle you find yourself on as Christians who are part of a higher kingdom. Our citizenship is here, but above all, it is in heaven. Uh, we also have to look at this thing and say, Lord, there's a calling on us to be godly in this present age. And not only that, to repent in this present age as well. For believers, for the church, I heard it said that before God judges the White House, he's going to stop by the church house because we have to look at ourselves. We are the salt and the light. We, we are the hope of the world because we know Jesus Christ and we are ambassadors, emissaries of him in this world who speak the gospel and live the gospel. Uh, we are like the world's uh, uh, immune system. That, that we are here as salt and light and representatives of righteousness that fights off and wards off uh, 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 deadly viruses, if you will, in the environment. But if the immune system has lost its power, if the salt has lost its saltiness, if we've gotten so accustomed to being worldly that we're of no heavenly good, then we need to check ourselves and each of us need to say, where do I stand before God on this? I might just need to repent. It's something that we have to do daily if we're real with it. And in Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, it says, There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So it sounds like there were some people who were killed and their blood was used in, in a way that was vile. Verse 2, and Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? In other words, does your theology say they're suffering because they were sinners? That's what's going on. Then in verse 3, he says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, sweep around your own front door before you try to sweep around somebody else's front door. There are tragedies in life. There are evil things that happen to good people, to godly people. And it doesn't always happen because they did something wrong. 
And the Lord is saying, stop focusing so much on them and look in the mirror and check yourself before you wreck yourself. You need to repent. And in this bantering that goes back and forth in our culture, this party versus that party and that party versus this party, the Lord is saying, why don't we take some inventory and call ourselves to repentance? I'm tired of hearing Christian people say, we should protect children from dying in the womb, but stay silent on protecting children from dying in the classroom. I'm tired of hearing Christian people say, we should protect children from dying in the classroom, but remain silent on protecting children from dying in the womb. But shouldn't God's people care about protecting vulnerable children in both contexts, in the womb and in the classroom? Some of us have been saying we believe in life from the womb to the tomb. Well, we're being tested on that right now. Regardless of how it came about, and it was shady, but as we see throughout the scriptures, there are many times it will say, but this was of the Lord. God is in control, is he not? Even when things get out of control and even when politicians have various motives. You see, instead we must, we, excuse me, instead we fight amongst ourselves and remain in this vicious downward cycle because both sides talk about the need to protect their rights. One side talks about protecting their rights over their bodies. And the other side talks about protecting their rights over their guns. And while both sides are busy protecting their rights, innocent children are steady dying in the womb and in the classroom. You see, from a personal standpoint, Jesus' prescription for this kind of rampant selfishness is found in two words. You keep talking about your rights? Well, here's Jesus. He's got two words for all of us as we're in a posture of repentance. Those two words are deny yourself. Oh, we, we don't want to hear that. But I think he said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. You can't follow me if you're trying to be Lord of your life. To follow me, you must deny yourself. Pick up your death instrument and follow me. Because if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. You want life? Lose your life. Deny yourself. We should try it sometimes. From a political perspective, the discussion for both sides should be centered on the nuanced wisdom of regulating and not on the blanket extremism of banning. Let me say that again. From a political perspective, the discussion for both sides on this issue and other issues should be centered on the nuanced wisdom of regulating and not on the blanket extremism of banning. Simply put, both sides need to make some adjustments. Both sides have work to do. Both sides, especially in the body of Christ, need to repent along with everyone in between. I'm sure I'll be ridiculed from both sides for promoting a kind of, listen to this, sacred balance over political and theological extremism because not only is there political extremism there's theological extremism out here but we need a sacred balance and people are going to talk about me and say pastor you need to choose a side I have chosen a side I've chosen the one who chose me but I'm not worried about that because I'm in good company my savior and a mentor from afar were both ridiculed and questioned for advocating nonviolence over violence, truth over lies, and love over hate. I'm in good company. You see, godly believers in this present age should be concerned about life. We should be concerned about, number one, protecting the lives of children inside the womb. Amen. Now, again, again, there's nuance to this. This is not a blanket. This is a general call for believers that we ought to be about protecting the lives of children inside the womb. We should also, secondly, be about supporting the lives of children 
outside of the womb. Amen? Amen. Because we have some that will focus on in the womb and some who will focus on out of the womb. But I believe God has called us to focus on both. It's not either or, it's both and. But politics has got us divided. The tail is wagging the dog. And the church has bought into this. But thirdly, empowering the lives of women before and after childbirth. Amen? Uh-huh, yeah, 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 yeah. We find these principles lived out in the story of Moses, his mother Jochebed, and his sister Miriam. So go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 2 to see these principles that I just shared with you lived out in the lives of Moses, his mother, and his sister. Exodus chapter 2. The first thing I want us to see today is that godly people, because we're called to live godly lives in this present age, this divisive age, godly people protect the lives of children inside of the womb. Yeah, 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 that's what we should be about. Now, people have different approaches to that, and God is the ultimate judge for our various approaches to that. But it ought to be a priority in our lives. Why? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. God is calling the prophet and he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. What does that mean? You you have a, a, a vacillating preacher who was a priest, and he was doing his priestly duties. God says, now now I'm calling you to be a prophet to the nations, not just to Israel, but to the surrounding nations. And he felt like I am unable to complete that task. I am young, Lord. What are you doing? And God says, now now I'm calling you because, let, let me tell you something about you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I called you to be a prophet to the nation. So stop telling me what you can't do when I've told you what you can do. I know what I'm doing when I called you. And yeah, you're weak, but I'm strong. Everyone I call is unqualified. Therefore, I have to qualify everyone that I call. So let me let you know something, priest who's now a prophet. Uh, 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 I formed you. I formed you. You didn't form yourself. You're not here by accident. You are here by providence. I formed you. And this goes in line with Psalm 139, where it talks about God knitting us together in our mother's womb. He's very specific and intentional about each and every one of us. And this is billions, if not zillions of people from the time of Adam to today. No two fingerprints, no same dental structure. Even when you got twins, you're not the same. You are unique and fearfully made in the hands of God. And that brings value to us. Because not only did he form us, but he formed us in his own image. The Imago Day, we have value in the sight of God. We can communicate with God and God can communicate with us. There's personhood about us. God says, I formed you. And then God says, uh, not only did I form you, but I knew you. In the womb, I knew you. Before your parents got together, I knew you. Before the X and the Y got together, I knew you. Before the sperm and the egg got together, I knew you. Mm -hmm. We quote in the Gospels that Jesus knows every hair on the head. Not a hard count for a lot of people now, but he knows every hair. He knows what you have need of before you ask. That God is omniscient. Oh my, he knows everything about you. And he still loves you. Because some of us, when we start knowing some stuff about each other, we don't want to hang with you. He knows all the junk, stuff we don't know. Because our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We don't even know it. He knows it and he still loves us. So I, I, I got to sit there for a while and not just read all the stuff online and in the newspapers. I, I just got to sit with scripture for a minute. I formed you. I knew you. I sanctified you. Meaning I set you apart. Meaning that I do have a plan for your life. 
So if you follow me, you'll find that plan, that purpose that I created you for to bring me glory ultimately and to bring good into your life. So, so, so I, I formed you, I knew you, I sanctified you or set you apart. And then he says, uh, I ordained you to be a prophet, meaning that when you get up out of this womb, there's work to be done. So he's the God of the womb and he's the God of the walk, the God of life. There's a calling on the prophet's life that started in eternity past that's going to show up in that time and in that era. So a balanced worldview is to care like God cares for life in the womb and life out of the womb. But politics wants to make us choose one or the other when it's both and. I hope I'm preaching to somebody today. This is the ideal. Yes, it is the ideal. God forms in the womb, and then God has a purpose out of the womb. That's the ideal. That's John the Baptist. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't have children. They prayed to God for a child. God gave her a child in her old age. God, the angel showed up and spoke to Zechariah and said that uh, you're going, your wife is going to conceive and bear a son. He is going to be a forerunner before the Messiah. And, 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 and as this child began to grow, the Bible says when Mary walked into Elizabeth's house, newly pregnant with the Messiah in her womb, that John the Baptist leapt. He was, and, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the babies were already operating in their destiny inside of the womb. Because when Jesus walked in, he left. Just like when Jesus walked by the Jordan, he said, there he is, the Lamb of God. He was fulfilling his purpose in the womb before he even got out of the womb. That's the ideal. But then the Bible also talks about ordeals. There's incest in the Bible where Lot and his daughters had children together. Oh my, there's rape in the Bible. When Tamar was raped by her stepbrother Amnon. Uh, there's medical difficulty in delivering children in the Bible. When the Bible lets us know that Rachel passed in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin, she died giving birth. And so that is the ordeal that we see in Scripture. And many of us don't have the ideal in life, but man, we know something about ordeals in our lives. And there are women who have gone through various ordeals as it pertains to birthing children. But here's what we need to know, Strong Tower. Life does not fit neatly into a political box. And neither does our faith. Ain't no cookie cutter faith. There are promises, uh, but there are not duplicates going on in everybody's life. God is faithful. And the faithful God also said in this life, there's going to be some trouble. And we have to trust God. Our faith must grow. We should always be suspicious of overly simplistic solutions for complex life situations. You know, Jesus is the answer. Yeah, he's the answer, but, but how am I going to pay my rent this month? Jesus is the answer, you know. But yeah, but, but I'm going through something in my body with this delivery. Yes, he's the answer. But we need to avoid and even be suspicious of overly simplistic solutions for complex life situations that we all find ourselves in. Well, in Exodus chapter 2, we're going to see God operate here. Through this first point, godly people protect the lives of children inside the womb. Exodus 2, beginning in verse 1, And a man of the house of Levi, that's Amram, uh, uh, took as wife a daughter of Levi, that's Jochebed. So when the woman conceived, and this would be her third child, she had already had Miriam, she had already had uh, uh, Aaron, now she's about to give birth to Moses. But the laws in the land have changed because they are slaves. They're under authority to the Romans. And I might even say they're under the oppressive laws of the, Roman, of, of the Egyptians, rather, excuse me. So the woman conceived and she bore a son. 
It's a miracle from God. It's a gift from God. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, everybody think that child beautiful, don't they? She hid him three months. Why is this going on? Well, chapter one talks about how the Jewish people are multiplying in the land of Egypt. A new Pharaoh has arisen that didn't know Joseph and, and, and the promises that previous Pharaohs had given to Joseph. Jews are living in the land of Goshen in Egypt and they're multiplying. They're like baby kids. They just multiply it. And the Egyptians are threatened by them, and so they try to persecute them and keep them down. But the more they persecuted God's people, the more God's people grew in, the, in spite of the persecution. So they said, we got to make their work hard. We got to make their work full of rigor. We got to oppress these people. We got to make them build our uh, uh, different monuments and all of that. And, so, and then Pharaoh had an idea, uh, infanticide, let's kill the boys to slow this thing down. There's, there's so many of them in here. Now, 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 now so when, when, when the Hebrew women get on the birthing stools, if it's a boy, take the boy and throw the boy in the Nile River. We got we to cap this thing. If it's a lady, if it's a girl, let her live. But the Bible says that two of the Hebrew midwives feared God more than man. I, I'm just in the book. I'm in the book. They feared God more than man and they saved the boys, and they lied to Pharaoh, saying that these Hebrew women are different from the Egyptian women. These Hebrew women, man, when they start going in labor, start pushing, the baby come out, eh, and they holding the baby before we get over there. But the, the Egyptian women, no, we got to be there helping. And but these Hebrew women are different. They lied to Pharaoh, and God still blessed them. Uh, don't try that at home unless the Lord really, you know, a righteous lie, you know. So they're killing boys. So Jochebed knows I've got this boy. Or rather, let's just back it up. I'm pregnant and I'm not going to the state sanctioned hospital. I'm going to have this baby at home. So she hides the baby for nine months until she delivers the baby, realizing it's a boy. Then she hides the boy for three months. So for a whole year, this undercover action is going on because Jochebed is a little different from the other Hebrew women that were, that were growing up there in Egypt because the other women, apparently, they went on to the Egyptian hospital anyhow and took their chances. But Jochebed said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to protect this child whether it's a boy or a girl, but especially if it's a boy. And so godly people will protect the lives of children inside of the womb. And so Jochebed and Amram defied the infanticide edicts of Egypt. Jochebed birthed Moses at home and hid him for three months. She is to be commended because she could have gone into a system whereby her newly born child could have been thrown into the Nile. But she chose, no, I'm going to protect the life of my son. Well, the second point I want you to see is that godly people support the lives of children outside of the womb. Now, the first point made some people very comfortable and other people uneasy. The second point is going to make some people uneasy and other people uncomfortable. But isn't that how it ought to be as a growing disciple of the Lord? We should be stirred sometimes. We ought to be comforted sometimes and troubled other times because God is speaking to us about our ideologies and philosophies of life. And so God is speaking. In the next chapter 2, verse 3, the boy is born. Then verse 3 says, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. Oh my. This is an act of faith here. She went as far as she could go, keeping him hidden for three months in the house, meaning that there were officials probably walking around making sure no one was breaking the law. So she's hiding her son for as long as she can. And then she realized, I've got to give him up. 
I've got to give him over to God, hoping that there will be an Egyptian woman who will find my son and take care of my son. This was an act of faith. Now, it's real easy to judge Jochebed with our 20th, 21st century lenses to say that what she did was irresponsible, putting that boy in a basket and putting him in the Nile. We're so quick to judge people's situations when we don't know their circumstances. We're so quick to tell people what they ought to do, what they shouldn't do, when we don't know their story because we, haven't, we don't view them as people. We view them as projects. But if we took the time to find out this woman's story, what she was doing, oh my God, what would you do if you were in her shoes? The Bible says she puts him in the ark, in the, in the river. But then verse 4, and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. So now we see God is working now through Miriam, a girl. Don't know how old she is. She, she's older than Moses, obviously. But her and mom are working together. And she's watching from afar off. Verse 5, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children, probably because he was circumcised. And, and then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and, and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother, my God. So Miriam watched the ark. Miriam engaged political leaders. That was Pharaoh's daughter. Miriam used her access to benefit her brother. Miriam used ingenuity. She knew who that baby was, and who the mama was, because it's her mama. So she had access, but she also had ingenuity. Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. So, 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 so get a technique together. Get, get, get a method of operating that, that man that, that has ingenuity and creativity. And she said, do you want me to go find somebody? And she said, yeah. And she goes and takes Moses. So mama gives baby up. Mama gets baby back. Only God can do that. Thank God for Miriam being intentional in this situation here. So Miriam was an advocate for the newly born. Mama protected life in the womb, and now Miriam is being an advocate for life outside of the womb. So in order for Moses to flourish, Jochebed and Miriam had to work together. The left and the right had to work together in order for Moses to flourish. One protecting life on the inside, the other protecting life on the outside. They had to work together for the flourishing of a child. When I was growing up, I played football. And when you're in little league in high school, they'll let you play on both sides of the ball, meaning that you'll play offense as well as defense. Uh, I played cornerback and I played running back. Running back on offense, cornerback on defense. Stayed on the field, sometimes did special teams. I'm not bragging, but I just had it like that. But anyway, uh, 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 that was good in, in high school. Good in Little League. But when I got to college, and then I heard that this is the same in pros. I don't care how good you are, you're not playing on both sides of the ball. Because your role is so intense now that all of your focus has to be on your position on your side of the ball. So if you're a quarterback, you're not going to also play safety. I know you did that in high school. You're not doing it in college, and you're surely not doing it in the pros. You're going to play on one side of the ball. But guess what? During practice, though, for the collegiates and for the pros, they'll scrimmage each other in practice. The offense 
versus the defense in order to make the team better. But sometimes it can get so heated in those practices of the offense versus the defense that every now and then teammates start fighting with each other. And the coach has to come and say, wait a minute, break it up, break it up, break it up. Y'all are on the same team. Stop fighting with each other. I'm just here to let you know that we've got believers on this team, believers on that team. We got believers who are Republican, believers who are Democrat, believers who are conservative, believers who are progressive. But if you're a believer, 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 you are on the same team. So we got to stop fighting with each other and recognize that we're on team Moses. That's the team we're on, Moses. And we want to see Moses flourish in the womb and out of the womb. That's your expertise. This is mine. We're not going to keep fighting against each other because it's not about us. It's about the team, team Moses. I don't know about you, but I'm on team children. I'm on team children. Jesus was on team children. Let the kids come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He wants to see them flourish in the womb and out of the womb. But politics has so conditioned us that we have to choose either or. But it's not either or, it's both and. And your burden, your passion might be on this side of the situation. Your burden, your passion might be on that side of the situation. And both sides need to hold the other side accountable to do their jobs. So if you're fighting for life in the womb, fight with me for life outside of the womb to make sure that these kids have everything they need to flourish once they're born. Because it's about the children. That's the way it ought to be. Well, finally, thirdly, godly people empower the lives of women before and after childbirth. We care about life of the child in the womb, life of the child out of the womb. We saw it with Jochebed. We saw it with Miriam. But godly people, man, we, we, we want women empowered because I want to be godly in this present age. Ah, oh, let me look here. Verse 9. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, speaking to Jochebed, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. But what did Jochebed have before giving birth to Moses? Jochebed had an ideal situation, if you will. She had family support. Her husband Amram was with her. She had two children, Aaron and Miriam. Oh, she had great support before giving birth to Moses. She had a home or living quarters. And of course, she had faith in God. Well, what did Jochebed have after giving birth to Moses? Oh, she had family support. She had a home. She had faith in God, and she had a growing child. Look at verse 10. And the child grew. And the child grew. And, and, and isn't that what we want our children to grow and thrive and flourish? She also had government support. Pastor, what you talking about? Pharaoh's daughter gave her a government job. <laughs> and I have to believe that Pharaoh's daughter paid Jochebed well. I, I just have to believe that she had a well-paying job. And, and when women give birth to children, not only should they have a well-paying job, but they should be able to have paid time off for as long as they need in order to raise the child, get the child going, to heal themselves before coming back into the workplace. She had a good job, and she also had access to health care. Pastor, what you talking about? This is one of the most mightiest nations on the face of the earth at the time. Pharaoh's daughter 
who is a princess, basically is like, uh, take care of this child. Do you think if Moses had a runny nose and Jochebed said, uh, Moses has a runny nose, do you think uh, Pharaoh's daughter is just going to say, y'all take care of it, do the best you can? Or is she going to say, look, we got some universal health care over here on this side. We're so blessed, we want to make sure that don't nobody stay sick that gets sick in Egypt, especially now if it's my child. So I know she had access to some health care, and we know she had access to good education. Pastor, why you say that? Because Moses went to school in the Egyptian school system. God was setting him up to be able to write the Pentateuch through that education and lead these millions of people to the promised land through that education along with some time by the burning bush. Because kids not only need Jesus, they need a good education. And so if we want to see kids thrive and flourish, let's make sure that the schools in every neighborhood is a good school with paid teachers and qualified teachers. Don't, 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 don't send teachers over here that are not getting paid well and all that stuff to this neighborhood because the houses in this area can't draw enough taxes in order to make the school flourish. No, no, we got to do something in the system to fix these schools because if you got poor neighborhoods, you got poor jobs. If you got poor jobs, you got poor schools and you're going to keep perpetuating poverty. So I need some help on this side of the womb. Don't sit over there and dance and celebrate that abortion has been banned. I need you to go to work with me on this side. I really don't trust y'all because you have never shown me on that side that you care holistically about a child. But I'm going to give you another chance. Let's go. Let's work together. Let's galvanize our resources. My God. What did Jochebed still need though? What did she still need? After giving birth to Moses, <laughs> Jochebed still needed her freedom. Don't forget she was enslaved. She was not free to go where she wanted to go or do what she wanted to do. She still needed freedom. She still needed equal rights to Egyptians. Therefore, she needed justice. She needed opportunity. And she needed her voice to be heard because she's valuable in the sight of God. She had some needs still. And she would not experience these things, this freedom and the equal rights and the justice and the opportunity and her voice being heard until her son would come back and lead the people out of bondage and into the bright daylight of freedom. She still has some needs, but it would be her son. Pastor, how do you know it was her son? Well, the Bible lets me know, I, I, I got to say this, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, that Amram, Moses' father, lived 137 years. Moses came back when he was 80 years old to lead the Jews out. So if Amram has Moses at 40, his third child, uh, uh, and then 40 years later, Moses comes uh, to lead the people, Amram is 120, if you will. And Moses is 80. And we know if anything is like what's going on in our culture today, the wives outlive the husbands. So if he hit 137, what Jochebed hit? Oh, yeah, yeah. So when it was time to go out, I have to believe that Moses led his parents out of bondage. But that would have never happened had he died in the womb by the government or if he had not been flourishing out of the womb with the help of Miriam, had he not had life in and life out, he wouldn't have been able to lead everybody out of that place. So when you save a life in the womb, when you help a life out of the womb, you don't know who they're going to grow up and be in order to impact society for the things of God. So with the recent ruling to ban abortion, a greater divide is occurring in our country and in the church. Yet believers in Jesus are still charged to live godly lives in this present age, which means we got to stop doing all the debating that we do because that's not always godly. People don't come into the kingdom because we debated the men. They come into the kingdom because we love them well with the truth. 
So believers in Jesus, we have to live godly. We can't look like the world. We're in it, but not of it, especially as it pertains to protecting the lives of children. So from the lives of Moses, Jochebed, and Miriam, we saw godly people protect the lives of children inside the womb. Godly people support the lives of children outside of the womb. Godly people empower women before and after childbirth. And I just want to know which one of these areas is your burden? Which one is your passion? Which one is your expertise? In the womb? Out of the womb? Supporting moms? We need all of those. In which area do you fall short and need to grow? How have you become imbalanced? Mainly because you're being driven more by politics than by scripture and by the kingdom of God. And you see you're imbalanced this way and you need to come back this way in order to have again that sacred balance that I believe God has called his people, his church to be about. How can you promote a for life agenda in the womb as well as in the classroom? How can you empathize with the various plights that many women face before and after childbirth? And how can we live godly in this present age? Oh, the work is ahead of us. But the work is ours. In the womb, outside of the womb, serving mothers. That's the Bible. If you have a problem, with what I've said. After you've studied the scriptures, after you've talked to God, I'll be glad to talk with you. Because in August, I'm opening up a series called Discipleship Moments. This is a discipleship moment. Let's sit down together and let's open up the scriptures. Let's pray. And again, we may not see it the same, but if we're divided, it makes me wonder, whose agenda are we pushing? Is it God's? Or is it ours? Father, I did the best I could. I thank you that the word will not return void. Thank you for social media because we can go back and watch it and press repeat and slow down and run it back. But Lord, it's not my word that matters. It's your word that matters. And so often, Lord, your word has been left out of conversations. Your word, Lord, unfortunately has been used in order to vilify and weaponize other people. God, forgive us for how we have tried to manipulate scripture in order to support our platforms. But God, we step back and we say, let God be true and every man a liar. Thank you for Strong Tower Bible Church. Lord, this ain't a perfect place, but it's your place and you're a perfect God. Lord, we're trying to work this thing out of how we can celebrate your diverse kingdom while also recognizing that you've called us to oneness in you. Teach us, Lord, how to share. Teach us, Lord, how to listen. Teach us how to learn. Teach us how to speak up. We need help in this day and in this hour. Lord, there's going to be a lot of fights going on around us and even in us if we're not careful. But God, we need you because we want to live godly lives in this present age. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.